talking about food since it's Tuesday. I'd like to welcome back on the program the one and the only Andrew Dembina. Well, he's the only one I know. So, Andrew, Anders, it's great to speak to you. Yes. Hello. Hello, Lauren. I'm the, I'm the only one I know as well, so I think it is the one and only. I've not been told there's another Andrew Dembina on the planet. So, um, yeah, reasonably safe intro. Have you Googled yourself? Have you Googled your name to see if there's another Andrew Dembina? Um, there was a cousin of mine in the UK, a Dembina, who was... Also uh, called Andrew? Find out. Oh, okay. No, the, close, the closest is Andrea, um, who, uh, who, just a uh, bit of general info, lives in Argentina. So there's a Dembina in Argentina, Andrea, close as it gets, apparently. Exotic. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. back to today's oh, program. Yeah. How are you today and, and what have you got for us this afternoon? Yeah. Today is um, somewhat exotic. Uh, some of the reports are going far away from our shores. None of them are local because we've mentioned happenings in uh, Hong Kong over the last couple of weeks since uh, four were allowed to table. So straying further afield, looking at the... Uh, um, uh, interesting viewing now and then, as I have, particularly in the last year on these uh, one, two, three show Tuesday reports, uh, because uh, people have never had more time than uh, than they still do now with restrictions uh, in place for many types of going out to uh, to watch some interesting stuff online. And it's not all about that today. There's only just one that I'll kick off with, which is uh, a really excellent bit of video content that's been posted for nearly a whole year now. By a, Sorry, uh, a one of the year. a whole year, Noreen. Yes, that uh, by, by one of the uh, well thought of U.S. wineries in arguably the most revered region in the country of the United States of America, and that is uh, Napa Valley. So um, don't worry, listener or Noreen, if you're not a uh, a kind of a a wine drinker or a wine geek. Um, or you uh, you only indulge in a glass or two occasionally, or if you drink at all, um, it's uh, it's not viewing that will baffle with technical wine terminology. And the great thing about this series of videos um, is that they don't only talk about wine; they also talk about um, farming, and they compare sustainable farming in one episode. Twenty-four videos are up on an archive, and I'll give you the details of where they are in a bit. Um, and for the, the one that I referred to with farming is um, based in California, um, the, the head of the winery found um, a really uh, reputable, um, sustainable farm that's making uh, headway with a lot of new kind of um, non-pesticide and uh, uh, sort of drip, um, drip irrigation and all of these innovations that are going on, which can transfer from one type of... Um, farming to another, whether the crops, if it's arable farming, are veggies or uh, grain crops, or whether it's into vineyards in wine. But also, she um, that's the person who heads up the uh, program, um, uh, is um, Florencia Palmas, who is the, uh, the, the co-founder of Palmas Vineyards. Um, she also talks about how um, sustainable practice in um, livestock farming is also things that can be noted within the world of wine. So it's a really broad reach. Um, they're, they're, they've not been able to get out there and make uh, as much wine and distribute it. So they've put a lot of time and effort into these one-hour videos that are put out there uh, on a Vimeo platform, and anybody can watch them. You don't have to sign up to anything. 
Um, and another interesting topic for those who do occasionally have a glass of wine is called uh, tasting terroir. Don't be scared off by the word terroir, as it sounds French, as it is. It just means uh, territory, and it's the common word used for microclimate in the world of wine. It means the type of climate that is around the vines where the grapes are growing. It includes the soil. There's a bit of geology in there. But it's but but the question is, and of course, how, in a how very would I use it in way, a sentence, Andrew? If I was to impress someone talking about the terroir, uh, what, how would I use okay. it? You, you could take a sip of your wine, Noreen, and then just uh, just nod to your friend, make a kind of a mm, snapping sort of uh, you know noise with your mouth, and go, oh, taste the terroir in that. <laughs> so, no, you, you'd have to you'd have to then uh, explain what you mean uh, no you wouldn't that, that's a bit over the top i think it should be more no, casually no, that's dropped good. In, and then I'll, I'll explain what terroir means and then they'll yeah. think i'm yeah. i'm i know that's something it. yeah yeah or yeah or, or, or if it's a bottle of wine that you've got in your own place google the kind of microclimate that the uh that the wine uh is made in and you can say well obviously you know fog's blow uh, fog blows in off the uh off the shore, over, you get low-lying fog over the vines in the morning, blah, blah, blah. No, I, I mean, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't mock it, because it's, uh, it, what, what it is is that, for example, uh, let me give you a really basic uh, example that comes to the top of my head, Chablis. It's a type of white wine in, 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 in the region called Chablis in France. That's, that Chablis means the geographical area. Only wines that are grown there can be called that, much like champagne. You can't call fizzy wine in other places champagne, even if it's made in the same way. So in Chablis, um, uh, you can taste the minerality. You can taste this uh, kind of flinty... If you take a sip of it and you and you think about this... When I, when I was working on a wine magazine, it was so interesting, actually, hearing a master of wine talk about this. And then you compare a couple of wines, you put the two glasses next to each other, one that's got a kind of a, a, a flinty or chalky... Um, soil, um, and then you taste something else where you can't really taste the soil, and then you taste more of the fruit of the grape, and you notice the differences. And this is what people do when they're taking wine uh, exams to become, uh, uh, to step up the ladder to become a sommelier in a restaurant, or just for personal knowledge and enrichment. But it's uh, so well, these things are explained in a really down-to-earth way. The new world in terms of winemaking, which includes. Uh, mostly when people talk about it they think first of all of America and Australia uh, those two places in the English speaking uh, parts of winemaking world couldn't be more down to earth about the way they talk about producing wine I once went on a media trip to Victoria uh, for um, a wine producer over there and um, the the winemakers it's, and, and they are actually headed up by the same um, by the same company based in France, uh, LVMH, that, uh, that produces Moet and Chandon and a few other big, big names in the world of wine. But their Australian operation um, also has people at the top of their game. The, uh, the French company handpicks top winemakers in Australia. And these guys, when we were doing a tour of the facilities, like these big vats where the wines are being made and stuff, they talk about it as, um, as fermented grape juice. They're laughing about it. They're wearing shorts and T-shirts and they're going around. There's no kind of snobbishness that people often think uh, is going to be the case. And I tell you, this what, what I'm talking about, these Palmas Vineyard um, uh, videos, 24 of them that have been put online, they, they, they produce them in a way that's very much like that. They get experts in the fields, but those experts in California don't 
kind of, um, you know, uh, mince their words. They talk straight about the subject. A lot of winemakers also in Australia and America, where I was lucky enough to go to uh, Napa Valley for a magazine article, and I also did a feature for your program, Lars, um, was um, that um, they talk about um, uh, viticulture, which is the correct word, you know, in books for, uh, for taking care of the vines in the, uh, in the vineyards. They, 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 they actually refer to the process as grape farming. So, you know, they don't, they're, not, they're not deliberately trying to dumb it down, but they just see it as, uh, as farming grapes, which are then, you know, go through a process to end up in the bottle. So I do recommend this. It's called The Wine Stream, S-T-R-E-A-M, because when they first publish uh, each video on their, on their Vimeo platform, it is a streaming video. Uh, but they're making every one of these available on archive uh, for no charge. So you, um, uh, you can go to um, palmazvineyards.com, that's P-A-L-M-A-Z, and then vineyards, that's all one word, palmazvineyards.com, and on their homepage there is a link to the Vimeo uh, videos, which are on what they call the wine stream. So it's um, it's something you know something something that you can learn about. Give it. A, I recommend anyone with a passing interest in wine to give it a go. There's not a lot of free content that, that's uh, that's so broad as this. Comparing the wine industry, as I say, to other types of um, sustainable farming uh, practice and so on. It looks so. good. I think it's a nice change for for those of you who who want to watch something other than what's on Netflix. I think they're on episode twenty four, and each episode yeah. is about forty five minutes long. It's quite good. Indeed, and if, and and if anyone wants to um, really get involved and has uh, afternoons fairly clear at the moment, this Thursday at four p.m. our time. Um, there will be episode number 25, and it's, the topic will be tips on cellaring wine. That's how best to keep it uh, and to know when it's at its peak to drink it, you know, to keep it in your, in your cellar. Um, and, um, yeah, you can make comments. And uh, they do actually read out questions that people are messaging while they are giving these talks, which usually last about an hour or just over an hour. I'm so glad you, you said it's at four o'clock and not during, you know, one to three o'clock, because I wouldn't have allowed you talking about it. You, you don't want to. You should have cut me off. If I had dared <laughs> to do that annoying, I would hope you put the, the verbal boot in and stop just me be from like, saying it. Just be like, what? Yep. Oh, sorry, lost connection there, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we've lost him again, like last time on Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Yes. So, um, uh, going on to uh, the next thing, which is also connected to the U.S. So, as it was International Women's Day yesterday, hope you had a good one, Noreen, did you? I did. Every day is International Women's Day, or should be. Well, absolutely. Um, it was, was yesterday, I, I mean, I know that you themed your program around it, but were you, uh, did, your, um, did your man indoors treat you right? Actually, no. No? No. Okay. What, what did oh, I do? Well, sorry, <laughs> Yeah, the can of worms there. exactly. But I did get to hang out with my grandma, so that was very nice. Oh, good one! Yes. Excellent. Yes. Well, that's um, yeah, that's, Mix that's it up. Um, female female members of the family. Exactly. Um, I, I I want to add that um, the Californian wine industry probably has the most women in the wine industry that I've ever come across. I've met I've met and read about so many um, founders or co-founders, like the one at Palmas I mentioned but also winemakers, women who have got to the top of the industry in winemaking, which um, in many parts of the world, particularly Europe, 
uh, although it's changing a bit in Europe too, is, um, is very, very male-dominated. So it's a field where more and more female winemakers... When I went to Napa Valley, I, met, I must have met about half a dozen really top um, women winemakers. Who, uh, so that's, that's interesting. And the same goes for... Um, in fact, there was an article about it in a publication last week uh, leading up to International Women's Day here. The four, the four um, uh, masters of wine in Hong Kong are all women. There are four. You know, I mean, the first two were, were, were female back in 2008. But the four that, are, that do have that uh, qualification that now, title. it takes a lot of, a lot of getting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I and mean, it takes many years to, and people don't always pass the practical or the tasting exam first time, not always. It's a lot of work, and it's really, this is climbing the whole ladder. As I was telling you about these kind of the terminology, terroir, etc., you, you need to learn that plus all the practical different, tasting the difference. You need to use these words when you're, when you're being given uh, a glass or two of wine blind, as they call it, meaning that you don't see the label of the bottle, and you have to say which country does it come from. But not only that, which region, which grape Which type, terroir. And that's... Yeah, yeah. Which which, which terroir? Yeah, which which uh, specific uh, area of the region? And what is the vintage? What year were those grapes picked? You have to say so which it, year it's picked as well. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. It's really, it, yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult to pass. There are only three hundred and something in the world, and um, and there are an increasing amount of women who are getting this. Um, Talk I've about protectionism. Some... They must make it so hard because they don't want new people to join. I mean, that's... well, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, people people don't generally, or I think they never take it straight off the bat. They go through something called the WSET uh, tests first, um, or um, yeah, exams, which is uh, is the, which is for spirits and wine uh, education. And, uh, and that climbs up to about four levels, uh, which takes many years to get. And then the next step is Master of Wine. Um, so, uh, the, also the critics in the U.S., more and more wine critics. One U.S. Uh, wine writer, and she's also the author of something called The Wine Bible, which is in the uh, second edition, which uh, really breaks down a thick volume of about a thousand pages about um, breaking down different regions. It's a good re- her name's Karen McNeil, and she has a really good blog, which is uh, really, really, really approachable, called Wine Speed. Uh, the two words, Wine Speed. So she is a wine critic, and she does online tastings as well. And interestingly, this week, she's tasting Penfold's Wines, Penfold Wines, which is originally founded in Australia, uh, in southern Australia, in South Australia state. Um, they are launching um, their Californian collection. And what is interesting about this is that the four wines in the inaugural uh, collection is, um, is used using some cuttings that they took over from South Australia and planted in California 20 years ago. And so from, we're using cuttings from Australian Cabernet Sauvignon uh, vines. They put them in, a, in some uh, new vineyards in uh, a place called Paso Robles in California, which is about midway between San Francisco and LA and um, so she's doing a tasting of the first ever batch of the Australian um, you know sort of uh, well-known Penfold brand um, doing doing something in America which is quite revolutionary because Australia is thought to have um, 
very good terroir. Let's use the word again. <laughs> it has, you know, different. Um, it has different microclimates around the country, which are superb for growing quality wine. But they've chosen to uh, to just see uh, how their grapes do in a terroir. Well, we're dropping it in today. Terroir again um, of uh, of California. See what's the difference? If you take a Cabernet Sauvignon vine from Australia, southern Australia, grow it in American soil, what? How do you taste the difference? Pretty interesting, actually. That's very you know, interesting. Wait... I suppose you can do it that way around, but not the other way around, because Australia has got such strict rules oh, on yeah. sort of import of I don't know biodiversity. You can't really bring something foreign no. um, to to to, no. to the soil. I, I don't know. Maybe they have no, other you... rules about it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if it was done with, uh, obviously with permission, not just having any herring hand carry when they're walking down the aisle spraying stuff, as they do as you approach Australia, that wouldn't really work out well. Um, and, and, uh, no, they but, even um, spray uh, your shoes. Yeah. yeah, to, to <laughs> make sure that you don't. Uh, yeah, to make sure you mud. don't bring any mud or anything, you yeah. know, foreign soil um, onto yeah. Australia land. It's quite, it's quite weird. Yeah, very, it's kind of like very, it's kind of like the swimming pool. You know, you have to dip your feet in that mini pool before you go into the actual swimming pool. It's sort of like that. That's it. Have to r- rinse off your barucas before you get in. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. But but uh, but Karen um, uh, McNeil then this this blogger who's going to do that tasting this week on her wine speed you can find it through Wine Speed her blog um, she came out with a really interesting stat over the weekend which is she she kind of puts a newsletter out that I that I received which said that um, the percentage of wine consumption in the U S uh, attributable to Generation Xers and baby boomers uh, aged um, 40 to 74, um, they account for 80% of all wine drunk in America. So people who are people who are younger than 40 basically are not are only drinking 20% of the wine. That's amazing because you think about mm. it. People in their 20s and 30s, they are big drinkers. You know, they're they're people who have disposable income. They're not thinking um, so much about having hangovers as people who are who are, who are older than that age, and they are. They are choosing to um, not drink wine. They are having cocktails, she says, spirits, craft beers, increasingly popular among that age group, 20 to 40, and also something called uh, hard seltzer. don't know if you're familiar with that term. Uh, they might call them alcopops in different parts of the world, oh, yeah. which are carbonated uh, drinks with alcohol, juices, extracts or other flavorings, and water, um, you know, which are... Kind of like Smirnoff often- Ice or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, and in America, these hard felts, the ones they 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 often use, you know, sort of uh, organic fruit juices over there. And uh, and uh, the alcohol content in the U.S. comes mostly from cane sugar that's fermented, which makes something like rum, but not the same high quality as uh, as rum when you buy it in a bottle. Just mass produced an industrial size vat. This is what the youngsters like, Noreen, in America, not the wine. Just, uh, just I thought that I thought that was I thought that was quite interesting because you think. I thought that wine was growing the world over because people, especially red wine, all of the reports about how good it is for cardio, um, health and so on. But, um, but, but in America, it's only people between uh, 40 and 70 plus who seem to be uh, drinking 80% of it. Yeah. There you go. I have to say, I think I, uh, I associate wine with 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 the older age group, I mean, I'm I'm part of that group anyway. But, but when you're younger, you're not really drinking wine. You're drinking other things. No, 
true, but I thought but I thought times have changed. I mean, okay, when I when I grew up, I had no interest in wine whatsoever. Now you're drinking every mid, day. Mid twenties. Uh, yeah, I can't get enough of it now. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me while I just have a sip. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's no, I mean, but it's uh, it, it wasn't that available when I grew up in the UK. You didn't see much of it uh, in uh, supermarket shelves. There were off licenses that had a few bottles, but it was mostly spirits and uh, and beer. And beer. Well, keep yeah. sipping your, your 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 wine, Andrew. Um, as we break for the two thirty yeah. news. So, welcome back to the one two three show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday, the 9th of March, is today's date. Thank you very much for tuning in to to the one two three show, and we're joined by Andrew Dambina, our Tuesday reporter. Andrew. We're talking about wine still. Yes, well, I think we're, uh, we're, 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 we'll move on. We did. Our first two reports there were, uh, were about wine uh, in America, mostly. Um, let's move on to uh, food next so, um, um, and closer, a, a story closer to our shores. Um, a startup uh, success story in mainland China of a company that automates Chinese restaurants with cooking robots. Um, quite an interesting one. There was an, it was a report a few days ago in a publication called 36KR, which is a Chinese tech news portal. Um, it, it, was, it was telling the story of um, Yu Shanfang Cooking Robot Tech, that's the name of the company, which makes restaurants, kitchens smart, and it's just raised tens of millions of yuan uh, of angel investment funding after only being in business for three years. It launched three years ago, and it is now making massive inroads into automating kitchens and restaurants in China. Um, so cooking robots uh, have been developed uh, by, the, by the company um, since 2018, and they're already in their 10th generation in three years. They're really, I mean, these guys are moving fast. Um, the, 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 the robots actually cook and they prepare a dish uh, as soon as it's ordered and it's used mostly, it should be said, by fast food restaurants to do things quickly. Um, in the uh, uh, last year, in April, um, the company opened its own uh, fast food restaurant because it was making all of these uh, robot uh, cooking machines for other restaurants and it thought, hey, we're going to open our own restaurants and that's what it's been using part of the uh, tens of millions of yuan that it's just managed to snag uh, in the last month or so. I'm trying um, to Google it, an image. I'm trying to find a picture of it. I can't seem to find any pictures of it. I found one I, of, I, of one in yeah, Japan, only, but not really the one in China. Oh, I found, a, I found a picture. I didn't send it to you, but I found a picture of the restaurant, oh, uh, oh. The, out, the, out, the outlet of... Uh, of its of its new restaurant uh, of its new restaurants, but not a close up of the cooking robots. Unfortunately, I've only read about it in reports which have described what they're like. Um, it's a it basically it's like a stovetop four burner cooker that takes up about six square feet of space, and it and it can finish a dish in an average of two minutes. Uh, wow. And it's programmed and it and it's programmed to cook over seven hundred kinds of dishes. So it can cook it can cook four dishes at the same time in two minutes, seasoning them really precisely because it's uh, everything's measured out and programmed perfectly, and it's also um, designed to be cleaned easily uh, and uh, can be installed with something as an option which can reduce how much oil and soot it discharges uh, as a kind of exhaust. 
That's so, uh, really cool. But you know, if you if you if you go out to the restaurant, you, you want to enjoy the experience, and you know, perhaps talk to the chef afterwards. And it turns out it was a robot cooking your dish, and it's maybe, not so may, personal may, maybe anymore. You, yeah, maybe you can kind of. Uh, uh, record something into your phone and use some sort of line to, to plug it in with a USB into the side of the cooking robot. Uh, to get, <laughs> I'm, I'm making making this up as I go along. Or maybe there could be a, maybe there should be a comment button on the. If you want to say my compliments to the chef, maybe the equivalent would be um, going over to the kitchen counter uh, and pressing a button and saying, "Yeah, that was nice, thanks." Uh, and then you give your email, and maybe it will or or. Uh, or some sort of uh, message app that you're on your number, and it can give you some sort of feedback. I don't know, but I know what you mean. It takes away the uh, the human aspect, doesn't it? It's um, kind of like the, the 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 thermal mixer. This is a huge thing in Australia. Have you heard of the thermal mixer, where you can uh, actually program um, it to cook for you? So it, you, you can actually uh, put it, upload programs through a USB drive, and you put it in there, and it tells you exactly which ingredients do it. Everything is automated. It does all the it, all the mixing, oh, all the ch- you know chopping and is everything. It a food processor, sort I mean, it's, of. It's yes, it's cooking. It's cooking as is it cooking as well as doing you know sort of. Uh, Mixing and uh, chopping and stuff. Correct. Is it, is it also an oven? Correct. Oh right, no, I haven't haven't heard of that. Is that is that the brand name or 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 the name of the or the kind of described descriptor for the gizmo? I don't I don't know. It's just everybody just calls it the thermal mixer, and it's like oh. the it thing. Everybody was trying to get one for Christmas last year oh, no, I haven't heard and, of and it's really Intra- hard to get them brand new because you have to be on some sort of wait list. So then people start <laughs> getting it off Craigslist. I think. Ah, very interesting. Oh, I'll definitely look into that. Um, yeah, well, this 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 this, this mainland uh, manufacturer then has um, has has now opened um, about uh, twelve or so outlets, which it's calling. And you might be able to find a picture for this. It's called Yi Hershian, and that's spelled Y I H E X I A N. And each outlet, this is what I saw. I just saw the facade of the outlet, and it, it looked like it had a very clean-looking counter, I suppose, it was equipped with these robots, but it didn't kind of zoom in on those. Um, and um, it, it, what it does also is it saves uh, for, it's a business idea, really, it saves on exactly what you're talking about, the amount of staff that needs to be, uh, has to operate. You know, it's the same, we've seen it in every industry, haven't we? I mean, it's, uh, I live on an outlying island where the bank only, the bank, there's only one bank that you can belong to here, uh, only o- opens for a few days of the week and a couple of years ago they uh, they installed a second ATM machine previously there was one so that uh, so that it's the customer who's doing the work and the uh, bank can save money on paying staffers and uh, and the customer at the bank no longer has uh, much more interaction with uh, people at the bank because it's closed yeah. for half the week. I can, I can understand so, with a bank, but at a restaurant, it's such a sociable thing to do. I mean, when you go to McDonald's these days, you, you have to order from a giant tablet. Oh, yeah. And same with, you know, sushi chains. You know, you're no longer mm. got the, the, the waiter well, coming over. I, That's so bad sad. news for you, Noreen. This is also um, happening in the world of um, medium to fine dining in the higher price places, even as many as... Really? Um, yeah, even as many as five to seven or eight years ago, there were a couple of uh, restaurants that I went to in uh, Hong Kong, in a couple of hotels, and outside of Hong Kong in, uh, in, in London also, that people are ordering on uh, tablets. 
So, um, so you're ordering the, the... A waiter will come around and put a tablet and take it away so they don't disappear, I suppose. No, they're, nice, they're, they're better class of restaurants. So they don't expect their customers to do that. But um, they, um, they are, they, it was done initially, I thought, as a kind of a gimmick because um, tablets had just started becoming popular. Yeah. And so, and so it's quite a cool thing to have. But, of course, it's just cutting down on, on staff and it goes direct to the kitchen. When, if you press send... Then uh, uh, and you'll get uh, a question whether you confirm that order or not. It goes to the kitchen. The onus is on um, you, so there's no sort of if there's any mistakes, yeah. then they can't you can't blame the waiter. Yeah, rather like an ACM, <laughs> but I mean you know then you sort it out later. There's a problem. <laughs> so so I mean you know the, the world is becoming this way, but um, the, uh, the 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 company back to uh, the one in China, uh, Yushan Fang. The, um, uh, they are now testing 24-hour-a-day operation of these robots in locations that aren't restaurants, such as uh, installing them in business offices that do a 24-hour, you know, that have to, have to work around the clock, and also in convenience stores. So um, we might be seeing something like this in our local convenience stores if they manage to uh, continue with the success that seems to be uh, happening right now. But for the moment, it's 12 or so outlets mainly in Guangzhou and Shenzhen. So that's an interesting item. And I have one more for you today, Noreen, a different topic, but uh, again, close to our shores. And um, this is about major um, corporations in Taiwan ordering thousands of tons of pineapples to support the industry there after uh, a few days after Beijing announced a ban on Taiwan pineapple imports, which um, I don't know if you caught this in the news but that I started did, from yeah. yeah from march the first i i read a report they did that in, with australian uh, wine and now taiwanese pineapple yeah, yeah. indeed indeed yeah that's, that's what i thought when i when i heard about this there was a report a couple of days ago in the taiwan news um and um it uh, it was just sort of having a look at what happened and uh they uh they were reporting that that uh china had unexpectedly made this announcement um without sort of uh um, discussion with Taiwan. It was an announcement that was uh, um, saying citing harmful organisms that are found in the fruit. Uh, that the uh, China's General Administration of Customs said harmful organisms have been found in Taiwanese pineapples on multiple occasions since 2020, particularly three different types of bugs. I won't go into their scientific mm -hmm. names, um, which could pose severe threats to China's agriculture and environment. Because the bugs are alive. So they're saying the sort of thing that we were mentioning that Australia has always been super careful about, bugs that are alive. So the announcement came um, just a week or so ago at a time where the pineapple season was uh, getting its harvest uh, ready. Uh, it has a number of harvests over the year, but 10% of its uh, harvest was uh, just being ready to export. And as China is uh, uh, accounts for 97%, of the total export of fruit from uh, from from the from Taiwan, uh, it's uh, that that was um, you know uh, quite disruptive. So it was it was quite handy for the industry that um, the uh, that the number of corporations came in to just buy loads for their staff, and some of the uh, that was from major companies and some of the pastry manufacturers who make those uh, pineapple cakes that are famous in Taiwan bought uh, an additional amount uh, in their. Uh, you know, started making more pineapple cakes. So I wonder if we'll see more pineapple cakes um, flooding the market here as the manufacturers in Taiwan are now making more of them. Mm. There you go.
that's Very the uh, that's that's the last of my uh, global reports there. Yeah, Excellent. lots of stuff going on as ever. Maybe people yeah. can stop putting the pineapples on their pizzas. So you know, watch out, watch that so, space. Start or stop. Start. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe there should be some, uh, or, or for different, either either on pizzas or in different kind of fruit salads or whatever, um, pineapple buffets. Do a pineapple tasting. See if you can spot the terroir in those. <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> the way you use that word. From. Exactly. Well, Andrew, yeah. always a pleasure to, to have you on the program. Thank you so much for, for your great sharing, and I look forward to chatting uh, to you later on in the week again. Thank you very much indeed. Bye for now. Thanks, Norrie. Bye. Bye.